0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast and the Swarmcast. This is a dual podcast presented by myself, Zach Shaw, and David Eichholt of uh, the Iowa 24-7 site. And, David, we can just start quickly introducing ourselves, who we are. We're going to we're gonna preview the matchup, try to gauge a little bit, get a little bit of the opponent perspective on, on this matchup, uh, both sides of things. If you don't know what we're talking about, Michigan is facing Iowa in a top-20 matchup in Ann Arbor this weekend. So David, go ahead, uh, introduce yourself to, to the Michigan listeners, uh, You know how long you've been doing this for, uh, what you're about, and then just throwing it in there, maybe a little bit on, on what you've seen from Iowa so far this season.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I just started about last August. I, I'm fresh out of college, 24 years old, but uh, I've, I've been following Big Ten football for as long as I've, I've been alive, basically. Uh, But, yeah, uh, David Eichel, you can follow me at D-E-I-C-K-H-O-L-T 24-7 on Twitter. Iowa's been – I think they've just been taking care of business, quite frankly. I mean, the the Iowa State matchup was really weird. Uh, The most highly anticipated game, I think, in series history. But with all the injuries Iowa has suffered this year, it's still pretty remarkable that they somehow found a way to beat a really tough – iowa state team but Alaric jackson offensive tackle is going to be coming back a couple mm-hmm. members of the secondary is going to be coming back but i think iowa offensively they only have one turnover this year which was came on a weird fluke kind of lateral from from brady ross the fullback uh but Iowa's taking care of the ball the defense has played at a pretty high level they're fourth in the country in scoring defense 8.6 points per game and the special teams has been about as reliable as I think any fan could have wanted. Keith Duncan, uh, 10 of 11 field goals for the year. And Michael Sleep Dalton, the graduate transfer punter from Arizona State, averaging about 45.5 yards per punt. So all three phases of the game for Iowa, I think, are pretty consistent right now. But, you know, granted, I think, I think you wrote it in your Big Ten rankings that three of Iowa's four opponents aren't even within the top 110 teams uh, by the ESPN-FBI. Yeah.
0: Well, for those that don't know who I am, I'm Zach Shaw. I cover Michigan for uh, Michigan 24-7 Sports, the Michigan Insider. I have been doing it for, well, this is my fourth fall. Uh, I'm 25. I graduated from Michigan. I put the fan hat away, though. You can ask anyone, any of our readers or any of our listeners. Uh, that's that's something, whether whether they like it or not, I, I really... Um, Really put on that 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 truther hat, and so yeah, with Michigan, it has not been smooth sailing. They uh, there certainly have been some hiccups. They do have you know solid blowout wins over two common opponents as Iowa, Middle Tennessee, and then this weekend they beat Rutgers 52 to nothing. But Army uh, took them to double overtime. Wisconsin took them to well took them to beat downtown, and so it's it's been it's been interesting. That's for sure. You know the the new offense. I think the defense had more attrition than people gave it credit for. You know, they they did lose Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, Brian Monet's playing in the NFL, uh, David Long, Devin Bush. Obviously, people know him. You know, I think I think those losses t- t- tallied up a little bit more than people realized. Did start to see some of some progress against Rutgers, but if you're a team that doesn't look like you've made progress against Rutgers, you might be in for a long yeah. <laughs> season. So so we'll see. I you know I think. I think 19 is – I don't think they're going to stay 19. I think it's either going to go – they're going to climb back up the poles or they're going to go south. I think I think this team has a lot of talent. I think there's some veterans in the right spot. Uh, it does seem like the health has improved from a couple weeks ago. We can talk a little bit about injuries in a moment. But, yeah, I think it could go – I think it's going to go one direction or another. I don't think it's going to be – I don't see a you know, 9-3, 10 and. T- I think it's going to – I think it's either going to be they bounce back completely and look kind of like Penn State in 2016, or it's going to go south very quickly. Uh, the, you know, obviously there's a chance for it to stay in the middle, but with so many uh, top 20 matchups this season, you know I'm not sure about Iowa's schedule, but I know they have t- Penn State next week. But Michigan still has Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan State, uh, Penn State. You know they already had Wisconsin you know army might sneak into the rankings and then of course iowa it's it's an interesting year because you have to be either super good or you're going to feel every ounce of that pain of those losses <laughs> so um it's it's certainly interesting and so so david i'm curious with with that start you know we mentioned three of the teams i don't think are are going to be very good this season iowa states there how how much weight are you putting into how they've looked because iowa i think this is their first 4-0 start since 2015 which is obviously a phenomenal season for them and and i was always I, i've always seen as them as th- they're always good they aren't always great and you know the top 10 finishes uh, you know they had one in 2015 i don't know how many else they've had in the last decade or so but they're always in the mix they always play really hard but I guess what sort of things have you seen so far that that are indications that the season could be different this year? That this could be more than just the eight and four, nine and three type year, and maybe maybe even a step forward.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I will say about Iowa's schedule, it looked a lot more intimidating about a month ago. Before we kind of saw how Northwestern was going to kind of unfold mm-hmm. all the injuries Purdue has suffered. Now we you know with Rondale Moore and Elijah Sindelar, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how long he's out for, but broken clavicle. You know, so Iowa's schedule does not look as daunting as it did at, uh, at one point. But, yeah, I mean, the thing that's interesting about this team is I, I look back at that 2015 team when they went 12-0 in the regular season, just narrowly lost the Big Ten championship to Michigan State. That team really wasn't overly talented. They just had the, the chemistry that they had mm-hmm. together. It was phenomenal. I mean, they are probably one of the you know, closest teams, I think, in the country. I look, at, I look at this year's squad and I, I see more talent than that 2015 team, probably the most talent since the 2009 team uh, that ended up basically losing to Ohio State late in the year after Ricky Stanzi went down. Uh, then they beat Georgia Tech in the Orange Bowl. But, you know, I think Iowa's got experience in the right places. I think that's the biggest thing. I think Nate Stanley's kind of gotten over that mental hurdle. He said that uh, last year he put a lot of pressure on himself. And just basically said that he tried to do too much. He he put too much pressure on himself. Didn't trust the guys around him around him to make plays. And I think just the kind of the weight's been lifted off his shoulders this year. I mean, this this is I think Iowa's most talented wide receiver core that's had in it maybe in the Kirk Ferentz era. Uh, the wow. top four seem to be pretty established with Brandon Smith, Emir Smith, Marsetta. You know, have become pretty consistent weapons for them. Um, Nico Regani and Tyrone Tracy are two redshirt freshmen to keep an eye on. And, you know, Michigan transfer Oliver Martin is still kind of making mm-hmm. that. Learning three different receiver positions. Uh, but I do see him being a big contributor uh, during the rest of his Iowa career. And I, I think the biggest thing right now is kind of similar to Michigan. I think Iowa just needs to get healthy. That's secondary. They, they've been without four of their top six defensive backs for the past three weeks. Uh, but they are getting one of the guys back, Julius Brents. Um, But even that, they're still missing Matt Hankins, who's been a very reliable weapon for Iowa. Uh, They're they're getting Kayvon Merriweather back at that free safety spot, but I'm not sure if they're going to start him. I think they're going to go with Jack Kerner, the former walk-on. But, yeah, I think this Iowa team is just ending up being more talented than it has in the past decade. But it's hard for me to put a lot of stock into it right now just because the the caliber of competition – but I will say that Iowa typically struggles putting away some of those teams that they should be putting away. And mm. that 48-3 blowout just kind of, that, that that even surprised me. I thought Iowa would win by three touchdowns. I thought Middle Tennessee would kind of hang around. But Iowa mm. didn't hesitate to kind of stomp on the throat. And I think that's been the biggest difference, especially since Brian Ferentz uh, took over as offensive coordinator in 2016. So there's, there's a lot of potential there. But I think these next two weeks are definitely going to be a a measuring ground for Iowa but they have you know two first round caliber offensive tackles they have AJ Epinesa they have a a third year starting quarterback in Nate Stanley they are turning their top three running backs from a season ago and add Tyler Goodson who's been pretty dynamic uh for Iowa's offense second on the team in touches so I think when you combine all that I I think that's just been the biggest point of turnaround is they have experience in the right places and they just have a lot of talent
0: great what you got for me what's your first question
1: I guess what's been the biggest thing uh for for Josh Gaddis and kind of that offense, how's the transition kind of going? What are some things that are working and what what things do they need to do to kind of take that next step?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think you asked me in a, in a written form a question similar to this and it's it's gone okay. You know, there it's clearly there's some elements that are that are going to work. You know, I think I think minimizing the huddles, I think that that helps Michigan. I think working out of the shotgun is, is beneficial to Shea Patterson. I still think they're trying to figure out the best way to implement it because what Josh Gaddis's vision for the ideal offense isn't quite what Shea Patterson can deliver. And I wrote the column before the season, the season's gonna go as far as Shea Patterson takes them. It doesn't matter what the coaches or the, the experienced offensive line. It doesn't some of these things matter, but you know, if Shea Patterson isn't at his best, I don't think Michigan is. And so, you saw this past weekend, I think they started shifting some of the things, because for those that don't know, Jay Patterson, former five-star recruit, uh, good arm, maybe not an elite arm, I don't think that's his ticket to the NFL, but very good at throwing in traffic, has, has pretty solid accuracy, uh, you know, in throwing over the middle of the field, can do a tight spiral, you know, kind of that middle infielder, zippy throw quarterback that, that is starting to become a little bit in vogue in college, and so... The problem is, I don't know if he necessarily is going to be able to sling it thirty yards downfield to the sidelines. You know, these these sixty-yard mm-hmm. throws all the time. And so, I what they did against Rutgers, I think, probably means that they're starting to figure it out. Is they started having the receivers run routes uh, on the same side of the field, and so maybe one guy's five yards downfield, another guy's fifteen, another guy's twenty-five, and that allows him maybe he doesn't have to turn his head as much. He doesn't necessarily have to have to utilize you know he doesn't have to go through the progressions the progressions kind of go a little bit faster and and I think they they've stopped having him stay in the pocket I don't know if it's a height thing I don't know if it's a comfort thing because he's always been a gunslinging uh, RPO heavy spread heavy quarterback and so they've started having him roll out a little bit go to one go to a side he's comfortable with so I think they're starting to figure out kind of that balancing act uh certainly helps to to have health Michigan you know, before the season I did a breakdown of Michigan's twenty five most important players and they were missing John Runyon Junior, who was top ten. He's their first team All Big Ten left tackle from last year. Uh maybe not as much NFL potential, but very good and consistent for, for what they're asking of him in college. And then Donovan Peoples Jones, former five star receiver. You know, he he's not the only good receiver they have. Nico Collins and Tariq Black are two names Iowa listeners should uh should be aware of, and Collins especially. I mean he's six four and his has amazing catch radius starting to get down the field a little bit quicker too. Um he had 600 plus yards last year as well. But Peoples Jones is kind of the I think he's the straw that stirs the drink a little bit just because of how many different ways he can produce. You know, he he can be in the slot. I mean he's 6'1, 62, uh but he runs a, you know, 44. He he can be shifty. He was a punt returner for a long time. Uh just one of those freak quick twitch athletes that Really can make plays all over the field, and I think Michigan needed him to in order to do what they envisioned for this offense. So he had a high ankle sprain. Uh, I think he has something of a groin issue too. That's just going to be kind of nagging him all year. We'll see what he can do. But but against Rutgers, he was effective, and and they have another shifty slot receiver, Ronnie Bell. Um, you know, he's he emerged as a starting slot receiver this spring. He's already off to a nice start: seventeen catches, two hundred fifty yards. So I think they're starting to figure out the passing game. As far as what slowed Michigan up, the run game is is very spotty. Uh, not just in running backs producing, but even in offensive linemen run blocking, kind of doing that inside zone read type blocking. It's I don't I don't if I were a coach I you know and could diagnose it fully I would just make more money and coach. But at the same time there's been there's been something lagging. Uh, Zach Charbonnet is a name to keep an eye on though. He's a Top 50 freshman recruit uh, came from the Marmont League in California, maybe one of the more three or four most competitive high school leagues in the country. Uh, he's got all the tools. I mean, he's got the size, he's got the speed. Um, he, he he's very smart, great pass protector. You know, keep remember his name because I I imagine he'll be an NFL draft pick. But everyone else, I mean, he's a true freshman, so he hasn't played that much. And everyone else, really, I. They weren't expected to be starters this year. They lost Chris Evans to uh, academic misconduct, suspension. Uh, Omari Samuels, I believe he was dismissed from the team and ultimately transferred. So they kind of had their two deep taken away from them after all the recruiting and, and much of the transfer process uh, had already taken place. So kind of, they're, they're in a tough spot in the running back. And I think that hurts, right? Because suddenly teams, I, you know, Wisconsin, they weren't respecting the reads at all. They were saying Shea Patterson's going to keep it and throw it downfield, and so they were able to kind of do that. And so, so I think that's a missing link. I think the offensive line, though, I mean, they have a red, sh- they had two redshirt freshmen starting against Army, uh, two guys who had really never, never played before, and same thing against Middle Tennessee. And so I think I think there's some iffiness, and I I think it's just a little bit of an identity in transition, and I think that's where. If they were an NFL team, I don't think there'd be any concern because they'd get better throughout the year, mm-hmm. and you can afford a couple losses. But as as we've outlined, uh, Wisconsin, you know, there's one. You don't if you're if you're Michigan and your goal is the college football playoff or you know the Big Ten title game, you don't have very many more chances. So uh, a lot of pressure on the offense. I think they've shown flashes. The downfield passing game has absolutely improved from last year, but last year they had Karan Higdon who ran for almost 1,200 yards. They had uh, Iowa fans a, know that name. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure they've they've gotten plenty of production from the other guys, anyways. But yeah, that's right. And so he was very good for them, and they had a nice bulldozing system going. And so I think they're still trying to figure it out, figure out what to do with the tight ends. Uh, but as the health improves, I mean, they looked they looked better. Everyone looks better against Rutgers. But even even taking away that component. It just seemed like things were clicking a little bit more for Michigan, so that's the big question that's the question for Michigan season in my opinion. Is the offense going to be good enough is it is it ready because if not, I mean, I was the kind of team that, uh, that they they always seem to exceed expectations because of how hard they play and i I have a question about the defense you know you mentioned the secondary uh that's certainly a spot to keep an eye on the defensive line and and maybe that front seven. Just from a statistical standpoint, because I, I don't know how many – I haven't been able to watch too much of Iowa this year. Is that a byproduct of the competition? Epinesa only has, I believe, one sack on the season. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from that front seven? I know they lost – I believe Anthony Nelson was a guy on the defensive yep, line. Yep, they, they so. lost their
1: entire starting defensive line from last year, but Iowa rotated really? enough okay. guys. Yeah, they had Parker okay. Hesse, who was fam- you know famously known for starting over Epinesa for two years. Uh, They lost Matt Nelson, they lost Sam Brinks, and they lost, like I said, Anthony Nelson. So their entire um, defensive line is is gone. But, yeah, the the thing that really stands out about me, and I was talking to Detroit native uh, Cedric Lattimore yesterday, Mm -hmm. and I asked him how much differently teams are playing offense against them because it's interesting. When you, I think Pro Football Focus did a breakdown of it. Epinesa doesn't have that many tackles. I can't remember how many tackles for loss he has, but like you said, he only has one sack he still has the third most quarterback pressures in the conference. Uh, And before last week, he had more than Chase Young, which was kind of mind boggling to me. And Epinesa has been facing double, even triple teams at times. And so offenses are basically playing Iowa differently. I think there's a lot less five-step drops. There's a lot less waiting for routes to develop. A lot of teams are going with the quick sideline passes, crossing routes over the middle and and sort that sort of thing. So, I think Iowa's defensive line, I think, has been playing fine. It's adjusting basically how teams are playing against them. And that's my my biggest thing I'm looking for when Iowa goes up to Ann Arbor is what's Josh Gaddis, what's kind of his game plan? Is he going to try to take some shots downfield to go against redshirt freshman DJ Johnson, who – is still trying to transition into that cornerback role because originally before you know all the secondary injuries, Johnson was gonna play kind of that cash position, similar to what Amani Hooker did last year that helped his okay. uh, pro stock evolve. So he's just moving back into cornerback now and he's been spotty, very, you know, very much like a, a redshirt freshman probably should be playing. Um, so are they gonna take some shots downfield against Johnson and kind of take that risk uh, with you know with the offensive line holding up? Are they going to kind of go over the middle, try to get Donovan Peoples-Jones involved, get uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Bell involved? So that that's my biggest thing. But I think Iowa's linebackers are playing much better coverage than, the, than they did last year. I think Jimon Colbert's a guy to watch. He played safety in high school. He originally came to Iowa thinking he was going to be the next Bob Sanders. Uh, but after the, his after the first true freshman season, they said, hey – we're putting 25 pounds on you, and we're throwing you a linebacker, and he just said, "Oh, okay." Uh, so that's been a big change for him, but I think his his game has evolved to a level where he's really starting to become that defensive leader, second leading tackler on the team right now, alongside Christian Welch, who's been kind of that that you know nose for the ball type grind, grindstone guy, who's been a very good sure-handed tackler for Iowa at that Mike position, and they've kind of moved him around slightly. But, yeah, I'm interested to see what Phil Parker dials up. It wouldn't surprise me if, if they bring Nick Neiman in for a, a few linebacker blitzes and really try to get Shea Patterson on the run and make him make plays because Iowa's second – look, I mean, Iowa's inexperienced, but Phil Parker is known for one thing, and that's developing defensive backs and intercepting passes. I think over the past three seasons, Iowa leads the nation with uh, 46 passes intercepted you know, the beginning part okay. of this year. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. But I'd expect, look for Nick Neiman to kind of blitz, look for Jim Colbert to l- be over the middle or kind of being that quarterback spy to try to limit those uh, run-pass options that, you know, Shea Patterson and Josh Gaddis might be trying to run to throw Iowa off because Iowa traditionally has not done well with scrambling quarterbacks. But I- I've seen them over the past year and a half really Start to really understand about how to defend it, and I think Phil Parker's done a nice job of adjusting that. So yeah, that that's the biggest thing for me is is what what's Michigan gonna do offensively? Are they gonna try to establish the run, or are they gonna go you know throw 15 of the first 18 plays? And I believe <laughs> they did that against Wisconsin. Um, so that that that's basically my biggest question mark, but. You know, kind of diving into that, we kind of touched on the passing game, but who are some guys that are going to step up? I I think Cameron mcgrone has been a guy that his name's been kind of uh, circulating the Michigan uh, news as of the last week as a guy that could potentially step up. But who are those? Who are some of those guys that you're kind of looking for and say, look, they they need to have a big game?
0: Yeah, well, probably probably almost all of them when they're facing a top 15 (laughs) opponent. It's funny because McGrone... It, yeah, we've all written our camera groan stories, and I think he had one tackle against Rutgers. Like it wasn't even actually uh, <laughs> that much, but but I think I think with Michigan, they're still trying to find some of the freak athlete replacements because they actually return the bulk of their defensive too deep, but it's those it's those guys off the top, you know. And so McGrone, he started reminding people of Devin Bush, kind of the way he was able to close out those running back angles, uh, you know. Rutgers did the exact same thing that they did against Iowa, where they tried to get it to Blackshear and Pacheco in space and maybe give them a few steps, head start, do a little screen pass, things like that. And so I'm sure Iowa did it too, but but McGrone, he was able to really snuff those out. And actually you saw Daxton Hill, who was a five-star this past year, he finally started to make some of those plays as well. So, yeah, I think McGrone's going to have to step up. It doesn't sound like Josh Ross is, is going to play. He is out of the walking boots, so there's a, there's a chance, but... I'm thinking. I'm thinking. No, at least this week. Uh, but you know, so one guy I'm really keeping an eye on on the defensive side is is Josh Uche because every you know, I, I go and rewatch the games, and every week, different players are stepping up and different players are doing well. One week it was Jordan Glasgow. Now everyone wants him maybe to be a second string linebacker. And and Quiddy Pay looked really good against Rutgers, but didn't necessarily have the same impact in other games. Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, he's he's ascending, but he's only a sophomore. It's not it's not all the way there yet. But Uche is the one guy who I think has that freak ability to succeed against everybody. He's kind of a hybrid between a linebacker and a defensive end. Uh, every school seems to have a position for Michigan. It's a Sam linebacker for uh, they have all the funny names, the Jacks or the you know different hybrid type names. But he's he's kind of got that that freak athlete ability. Uh, Very quick twitch. Probably the fastest defensive end Michigan has or has had, and they had a couple guys run four sixes at the Combine this spring. But he's he actually led the team in sacks last year coming off the bench, so very much a pass-rushing specialist. And so Mm -hmm. he's someone that really needs to step up. Uh, You mentioned the talented receivers. Michigan hasn't really faced a a stout passing attack yet. You know, Wisconsin, they're looking pretty good in the passing game, but Middle Tennessee – Army, obviously, they're not throwing the ball much. Rutgers, uh, you know what it we is. We don't need to expand on Rutgers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Nate Stanley's the first quarterback that I think could beat Michigan with his arm, and may, I'll put it that way. You know, passing attacks mm-hmm. might be okay at other schools, but but are they necessarily going to beat Michigan with their arm? And so, Lavert Hill, uh, two-time All Big Ten cornerback, he's very good. He he probably could have been a third-round pick last year in the NFL. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but that was the impression I was given. Um, but now now it's time to see what Ambry Thomas can do, what uh, Vincent Gray can do. Those are kind of the other two guys, both new to this starting role. What do they look like? This is really the first chance, and Michigan was – that's one area where they were fortunate in that they, were, they had a few weeks to work out their secondary. Uh, they feel great about the safety spot, but it's the cornerbacks. I'm curious – with these athletic receivers, I think they're going to have to have some of their best games of, well, really of their careers because they haven't been playing that long. And so, yeah, so in the secondary, I think it's Vincent Gray, Ambry Thomas. I think Josh Uche needs to make some difference-making plays because he's, he's kind of like McGrone where it's like you hear all the buzz about him, you obviously see it on the field, and then in the box score, it's you know one tackle, two tackles, something mm-hmm. a pro- relatively quiet game. That's great, you know. As you mentioned, the quarterback pressures. There's definitely a value in that, but I feel like against a team like Iowa, you can't just force Nate Stanley to throw the ball away. You've got to drop him for a four-yard loss and make it third and fourteen. And so it's it's a different kind of thing. I think it's time for him to deliver on the box score. Uh, McGrone, Michigan puts a lot of pressure on its on its middle linebackers. Don Brown. He's very. It's a very blitz heavy defense. I'm sure i'm sure you've you've come across that and so the middle linebackers kind of has to be able to read things and dissect things and and there's there's a lot lot put on his plate and that's part of why devin bush was so valuable last year is uh you know he could just cover anything and even if he was a step or two behind he could make up for it we'll see what mcgrone's got because it's one thing to do it against Rutgers, it's another thing to do it against a top 15 team um Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Looking at the time, I think we could probably just jump into the to the Michigan wins if Iowa wins if. So so David, we can start with you. Uh Iowa wins if blank, and it can be multiple things, I mean, I'm sure, sure. you're going to need multiple things, just like Michigan, but, <laughs> but what sort of things are signs that Iowa is off to the start, it wants to be off to, and then uh, on the other side, when you get there, Iowa loses, if blank.
1: Yeah, so I think I think the first thing that pops out to me is Iowa wins if they win the turnover battle. I mean, that that's a staple of Iowa football. Um, they, they've been tremendous at that this year, like I said. They've only had one turnover. Nate Stanley's been much better with his decision-making, Iowa, Iowa running backs have only fumbled the ball twice since the beginning of last year. And, and Iowa's offense has been pretty consistent. They, they've scored in the last 27 of 28 quarters. So I think constantly moving the ball, wearing down that defense. And that leads me into my second point. Iowa needs to run for at least 150 yards. In the tenure of Kirk Ferentz, Iowa is 101 and 17 when they run for over 150 yards. I, I wow. think the running game is improving, uh, improved a lot since last year. Iowa only had seven uh, carries of 20 yards or more the entirety of last year. I believe they're already up to that same number through four games this year, but. Torn Young's averaging set over seven yards a carry. Mackay Sargent's averaging over six. Tyler Goodson's averaging over five and a half. So their top three guys are averaging, you know, at least five and a half yards per carry. So I, I think that I, you know, with Alaric Jackson coming back, he I'm not sure if he's going to start, but if he progresses the way that Kirk Ferentz and staff want him to, he is going to start. And he was Pro Football Focus's third highest run blocker last year. And redshirt freshman Tyler Linderbaum center needs to have his biggest game of his career. He's already held his own against a potential NFL pick in Iowa State's Ray Lima. Uh, but, and right now he's the fourth highest run blocking center uh, of regardless of class. So he, he's been tremendous. Um, and, you know, it's pretty impressive considering he played defensive tackle all through his life up till about bowl prep last year. So that, that kind of quick transition just it, you know, I don't think any of us really saw it coming as quick as it was, but he, he's he been great. But yeah, Iowa running the ball over 150 yards, winning the turnover battle, and I, and I think I think the third thing is Iowa just needs to put constant pressure on Shea Patterson. I I think that sh- looking at the film, I think Shea when he gets under pressure and he can't really run if a quarterback spies on him, he can tend to make some poor decisions, and I, and I think mm-hmm. Iowa is going to make an extra emphasis. Jimon Colbert, Iowa's Leo linebacker, said that he's been. You know, thinking about all the fumbles they've seen on film from Michigan, so I think the linebackers and the secondary has made an extra emphasis this week to kind of club at the ball um, considering how much you know Michigan has put on the ground this year. So I, I, I think those are the three key things. I think Iowa loses if they, if they let Michigan establish a constant running game, if they don't get pressure on Shea Patterson, and they take those shots downfield because I think Michigan's wide receiver core is the top three talent-wise in the country. I think the offense, once they transition into it, is going to be big time for them. I, I think they have a lot. You know, Shea Patterson's got enough of an arm. Um, you know, I think the O-line is going to dramatically improve as the year goes along. And like I said, I think the wide receivers are are very talented. Um, so I think if they go downfield and try to pick on D.J. Johnson, I think that will be a big thing. Especially, I mean, Iowa lost a game against Purdue last year. They held Rondale Moore to... I think five catches for 34 yards and no touchdowns, one of his worst games Mm -hmm. of the year last year. But uh, I I can't remember his name. I think it was Isaac Zico uh, had six catches, 170 yards, and three touchdowns. (laughs) They just kept picking on Iowa's defensive backs. And Iowa, no matter who they threw back there, they they just couldn't stop him. So I, I think that's the big thing. And I think another thing, Iowa loses if they don't get the the running game going. I think that's just a staple of Iowa football. They need to be able to run the ball effectively, four and a half yards per carry. Tim Polasek, offensive line coach for Iowa, calls that championship level. And I, 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 Nate Stanley on the road in the Big Ten in, in Big Ten play just hasn't he hasn't really proved anything. I, I think this is a huge game for his legacy. He uh, yeah. he went eighteen of forty nine at Penn State last year and Iowa only lost by 6 points because Iowa's defense and special teams produced 24 points. But mm, offensively okay. he just couldn't get anything going. So I think this is a big game for his legacy. So Shea Harrison taking downfield shots and keeping the run game in check then you know I think things are going to be pretty, you know, I think Iowa fans should be pretty worried if those two things happen, but uh yeah, l- let's flip it over to you. If Michigan wins, if what?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> you've kind of touched on the easy one. Michigan has a much much better chance of winning if they don't put the ball on the ground. It's it's been incredible. I I probably should have mentioned it sooner, but the fumbleitis, you know, some of it was there were a couple blindside hits and and there were a couple kind of flukier ones, but I mean it's it's incredible. And you know we talked to Josh Gaddis last week about you know, the offensive scoring. Someone had a question about like points per game, and he's like, well. You know, our team's missing 10 drives on the season because of turnovers. And a lot of those occurred in the red zone or in scoring position. And so, you know, I think the season looks a lot different if Michigan avoids those turnovers. You know, Middle Tennessee, you can look at the 40-21. to 21. One touchdown was a fluke garbage time, one at the end. The other two were short field off of turnovers. Army, same deal. Two of their touchdowns came off of fumbles. Wisconsin, does that game look a little different if it's 7-7? You know, Michigan was on the six-yard line and and fumbled on the first drive of the mm-hmm. of the game, and so do things look different. Hard for me to say Michigan wins just based on how good Wisconsin looked, but I you never know. And football is one of those sports where things can you know you can have a fourteen-point swing, and that can be the difference in the game. And so, yeah, if they can if they can continue to cool off on the turnovers, uh, interesting. I'll, I might have to incorporate that stat about Iowa's interceptions into things because. That makes a big difference too, uh, so I think avoiding turnovers, you can put that on either Michigan loses or Michigan wins. They, mm-hmm. If they're not they're not winning on Saturday if they turn the ball over three times. I, I think there's still I think they're better, but I think there's still a little bit of a mental um, component to it. You know, Josh Gaddis mentioned when he said when the offense fumbles, it seems like that has a reverbial effect throughout the team, and that responding to adversity isn't necessarily a strong suit of the team. Now. You know was that a call out? Was that maybe embellished a little bit because of the nature of the loss to Wisconsin? Probably, but yeah, the turnovers is a big thing. Uh, I think Michigan wins if they if they run efficiently i I'd honestly even put it at five or five and a half yards per carry it, Michigan, what they've done so far, I mean they really have not run the ball well at all and and Zach Charbonnet, I talked about how he he's kind of the real deal. He'll eventually be drafted, but he only had two carries against Wisconsin. He only had five against Rutgers. Uh, personally, I think that there might be a little bit of a knee issue that they're that they're hiding. But at the same time, you know, even when he ran for 100 yards against Army or 90 yards against Middle Tennessee, it wasn't really that efficient of a game for him. And Christian Turner has shown flashes. He definitely has that those quick feet. I know Michigan kind of sees a future Karan Higdon in him, but it hasn't necessarily translated into into games just yet. And so. And then True Wilson, he's kind of a blocking first. He's a former walk-on. Does a lot of things well, but I would not say explosive running plays is one of them. And then Hassan Haskins is a new guy. He's a redshirt freshman, converted linebacker. So we'll see what they can get out of him. But it's really, for them to have produced the way they have offensively with this little of a run game, I think it's telling to, one, how far they have to go, but also how good they can be. So I think if they... If they can get even 5 yards per carry, uh, I think that they're going to be okay. Uh, here's a stat for you, though. In Harbaugh's 15 losses at Michigan, 14 of them, they have averaged fewer than 3 yards per carry. <laughs> so that's that's a barometer. Now, this offense is more pass-oriented than the past ones were. But at the same time, you know it seems to be a common theme. If they can't establish a run, whether it's the offensive linemen or the running backs, they struggle they really struggle to close out games they struggle to build a lead sustain a lead i i i just i'm i'm very curious to see what how michigan could win if it can't run the ball well another thing on on the defensive side i think they i think they're going to be in good shape if they can create havoc you know sacks tackles for loss pass breakups interceptions uh those plays that makes a big difference and and michigan they play man to man defense so that it's not always interceptions, but if they can get some pass breakups, if they can uh, keep completion rates low, they're usually in business. I mentioned the defensive line. Pretty good at creating pressure uh, so far and pretty good at stopping the run, but ne- not necessarily behind the line of scrimmage. You know, Wisconsin was amazing. It was They had 150 yards after contact. And so that, that says, uh, just in rushing alone, by the way. So that says that Michigan was able to get there. They, their pursuit was fine but it's the actual closing out the play that's that's really critical uh, mm-hmm. you know John you know Iowa doesn't have Jonathan Taylor but yeah, I was you missing those running backs <laughs> <laughs> yeah very few very few teams are shutting down Jonathan Taylor these days but you know they have experienced running backs who are going to know how to get out of a tackle or they're going to know if a if a line if you know the the scrum in the middle gets bunched up they're going to know how to bounce it outside and they're going to know I'm sure uh, Brian Ferentz and and the Hawkeyes coaching staff saw Wisconsin. They were able to put guys in motion. You know, maybe sh- you know, all of a sudden you have a redshirt freshman linebacker, a redshirt freshman defensive back, you know, being edge contained for the first time
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the game, and and so you know, just putting guys in motion, trying to create mismatches. Uh, so you know, the bottom line is, you're going to have to create some havoc. You're going to have to put Iowa on its heels a little bit in in order to be successful defensively. Losing, I could technically just say the opposite, but I'll say if, <laughs> if if Shea Patterson looks uncomfortable, I think Michigan's in trouble because he had, a, he had a, maybe one of his better games at Michigan this past weekend against Rutgers, but that came off of maybe one of his worst games. And one thing to note is Dylan McCaffrey, the backup, someone that they feel they could have started this year if Shea wasn't there, he's probably out. He's doubtful with the concussion, so uh, maybe... Some of the Iowa fans saw that hit that Wisconsin did on, on him in the third quarter. But mm-hmm. if it, if Shea Patterson's struggling, they really have to keep him out there. Joe Milton, he can he's he's got a great arm. You know he's six five, pretty athletic. Probably more of a twenty 2020, twenty 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 one player to watch, but he's the backup, and I don't think Michigan necessarily wants to go to him in a high leverage situation just yet. So if he's if Shea's uncomfortable, if as you mentioned, if Iowa was able to create pressure and suddenly he's rolling to his left versus his right or the routes just aren't there or you know the routes are taking too long to develop and he doesn't have enough time you know if he gets his head rattled a little bit i think Michigan could be in be in serious issue uh if iowa's wide receivers are as athletic as maybe maybe they look on the box score i think michigan's in trouble too because you know michigan good defense i think it rates rates pretty high across the board in a bunch of stats but if they're not I don't think the pass rush is what it used to be maybe in 2016 mm-hmm. 2017 and so that's a lot of pressure on the cornerbacks and when they play man defense and if these are very athletic receivers maybe not quite what Ohio State brings but something similar I mean you saw what Ohio State did to Michigan last year it's it's the crossing routes some of these man coverage things they can break down if you're not getting pressure and the yeah. and the receivers themselves are athletic so i think that's something i'm definitely keeping an eye on is you know, if, if Oliver Martin's the number five receiver, uh, that's that speaks pretty highly of you know former top fifty recruit, a uh, very highly touted receiving recruit. But you know, if they've got athletes that can that can outrun maybe some of Michigan's defensive players, I think it could get trouble because as I said, Nate Stanley's the guy who can make the throw to convert on that play. Arthur Sikowski, maybe even Jack Cohn, you know, the Army quarterback, uh, and then Middle Tennessee had a new quarterback as well. I don't know mm-hmm. if they were necessarily going to be able to make those throws and, and execute on mismatches or, or players downfield who are open. Uh, did I do too? No, we can, I got enough. I, I think all <laughs> five of those things are, are huge factors. Yeah. Um, a,
1: a, cu- a couple quick things I think are worth noting too. Uh, you mentioned the running game game going for Michigan. Quickly before we sign off here. But Iowa is one of two teams in the country that has not allowed a rushing touchdown yet this year. It seems like they always go four or five games without allowing one. Uh, they haven't. The other stat, which is, you know, it, it kind of troubled Iowa last year at times, but not you know, not so far this season. Iowa has scored every time they've been in the red zone this season. I believe they're 20, 26 of 26 off top of my head. I'll have, to, I'll have to go back and look at that. But that I think that's something worth watching. And another thing about Nate Stanley, too, he did have a little bit of interception trouble last year. Not, not horrible, but, you know, at times mm-hmm. inconsistent. The reason why he'll throw deep balls, but he'll overshoot his receiver pretty often. And that's just because he's so afraid of underthrowing it and he's always going to overthrow it. And really not that many of his passes have, you know, defensive backs been in position to create a turnover. And I I think that's been the biggest thing for him. I I could probably count maybe three passes total in the first four games that maybe could have been intercepted, but you know, on at least at least one of them, it would have been an incredibly difficult play. But yeah, I, I think those are a couple of quick things worth noting. Um, Matt Hankins, starting defensive back, is still out. Julius Brents, Iowa's defensive back, is going to be in on some sub packages and special teams. Six foot three, two hundred five pounds, high three-star defensive back, is thought to be Phil Parker's next great defensive back. He's available for the first time this year. Uh, like I said, K-Ball Merriweather is going to be available. Eric Jackson's probably going to be available. Uh, starting defensive tackle, Bray Reef is still out, but keep an eye on defensive tackle, Davion Nixon. He was a force mm-hmm. last week, and he's a, a, a very lean 310 pounds. I mean, it, I can't believe just how strong he is. There's not much not much flub uh, with his frame. So I'd I look for him to create a big impact, especially if Michigan elects to uh, double-team A.J. Epinesa.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there you go. I, I'm trying to think if there are any injuries that I didn't mention. Um, Sean McCune, tight end, a, a guy that Shea Patterson just really likes throwing to. There's there's clearly a lot of chemistry there. He's probably 50-50. He was initially thought to be out-out, but, yeah, Josh Ross is out. It seems like Dylan McCaffrey was listed as doubtful. Uh, then they've got a, like, a lot of guys who are got some nicks and bruises. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't quite 100%. Zach Charbonnet isn't quite 100. Um, On defense, seems like they're relatively healthy. Yeah, yeah, I think think that's it. It's actually, all things considered, pretty short list. But it's Mm -hmm. interesting when you have someone like John Runyon and Donna Peoples-Jones, two guys you thought would be first-team all Big Ten players out. That certainly slowed the offensive development. But anyway, for David Eichholt of Hawkeye Insider, I'm Zach Shaw of the Michigan Insider, Check out all of our coverage and our colleagues' coverage at coverage at both sites. Uh, what's what's the official site for you guys?
1: Oh uh, hawkeyeinsider.com.
0: Okay. So for us, you can go to Michigan.247sports.com or the MichiganInsider.com. Uh check it all out. Uh, this has been Swarmcast and the Wolverine 24/7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something, and stay tuned for more coverage throughout the week.